Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, your... heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Well, everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Here's to getting back together. To planned lunches and unplanned cookouts. To grandma's recipes and smells that take us back. To passing down plates and traditions. Here's to warm embraces and familiar faces. To your best friends becoming best friends. To scheming, dreaming, and food still steaming. Here's to laughter and love. To growing closer than ever. For all of life's get-togethers. Chinette, here's to us. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome to another edition of Bring in the Closers podcast. Ryan Ray, alongside my good friend, Ben Samuels. Ben, good to see you, buddy. How are you doing? Doing well. Good friend. That's a that's a different intro. I like that. We're making progress. It's been a good week. Uh, you know, you and I saw some baseball games in Dallas last week. I had a nice, uh, relaxing weekend. As you can see, I'm in Houston at the moment in a hotel. But uh, yeah, and for the listeners' good. benefit, we are recording two episodes this week, so you will see us next week looking exactly the same. Ben will not be in Houston next week. He was in Houston last week. By the time you heard this next week, if you can keep up with all of that, um, probably not. But anyways, um, so Ben, you know, last week we got to sit down. Uh, I got to meet your dad, lovely gentleman. Enjoyed that thoroughly. Um, and, you know, it was good just to kind of minus the 300-degree heat just to go and to sit down and listen to someone who is – been successful like your dad has learned from we didn't get to talk a ton of business but learned this kind of how he sees the world and we have a guest on today but i'm just curious how do you balance that or how should we balance that in our lives for the listeners um it's hard to get mentors you know you talk about the you know what's in it for me bringing value but um but you know i, I enjoyed it because i don't always get to sit around older gentlemen who have had the success that your dad has and, and kind of just not pound them with questions, but just throw out something and hear how they think about their perspective. Um, you know, the baseball, we talked about this before, the baseball is kind of a great environment for that, despite the, the heat, the declining attendance. There's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity there. And uh, do you think that's maybe, maybe it's like this, do you think that maybe that, that's a better environment? Is a baseball game where you're not pressured to talk repeatedly? Um, for an older generation, it's a little bit slower, a game that they grew up with that probably has a little bit more meaning than a younger generation. Is that a good good tactic, good tip for listeners to to get an older mentor out and hang out with them for a few hours and not feel like they had to question them nonstop? But you know, you know, here's a great hit. Here's a question. Um, kind of work it in through the process. Yeah, you know, I think if um, it makes it a little bit easier to facilitate just kind of genuine flow of, of com- um, conversation. I find sometimes, you know, when I'm sitting in a dinner or something like that with somebody, you know, at times there's like a forced conversation, right? Because there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a lowly conversation. There's not something that immediately needs to be said. Maybe both people want to think about kind of what what's going on. And so I think a baseball game or, you know, a lot of deals and things get done on the golf course and, right. and those kind of things. I think those are just more, you know, that kind of engenders more conversation. And, and, and also, you know, if you're able to bond on baseball, you kind of have immediate foundation of something to bond over. And that, I think that that also um, can, can help the communication going forward as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely. 
You know, one thing I'm curious, because I thought about this um, while we were there, the other thing that, that golf or baseball does when you're trying to grow, grow a, um, a friendship is it also allows for you to attend to regular business because you're at the baseball game. So if you pick the phone up and check it, I mean, obviously you don't want to be ignoring the person, but you can sit there and you can kind of delve, you know, respond to an email, shoot off a quick text. And the, the ethos of the whole thing is different where if you're at a dinner and you pick the phone up, it's almost, it's almost rude at a baseball game. Everyone's talking. Um, there's going to be some quiet time. So you, you may see the phone go off. There's no pressure to respond because, you know, a big hit will happen or the inning will change or someone will run to the bathroom or the hot dog guy. So it also actually adds unique elements that you wouldn't find in other spots because the natural way it flows. So you can actually conduct business while you're, you're not um, shunning the other person as well. Yeah, I think it reduces the pressure. I mean, you know, in a 30, 45 minute coffee meeting, I think both sides, especially on, you know, first meeting are, are pretty, you know, it's important to make those minutes um, important and, uh, and impactful. Whereas if you're talking over, you know, three, three and a half hour baseball game, you know, you can get the same value out of that 45 minute meeting, but it's a lot more relaxed. And also I think you're able to, uh, you know, get a sense of the other person, just kind of how they operate and, and what mean, you know, what means more to them and those kind of things. I think those kind of things come to the forefront a lot easier in like those kind of environments where there's not the your societal pressure. Like you said, you know, um, you know, times checking your phone or being able to, uh, you know, be silent for a couple of minutes, just kind of be thinking offline. You know, I mean, how many times in a coffee meeting have you been sitting face to face with somebody and there's like dead silence for two or three minutes? I mean, that doesn't right. happen. Right. And right. so it just changes the dynamic. And it also, if, if, if you want to take the extreme and you never want to pick your phone up in front of someone, it also does offer more interruptions where you can go to the bathroom, you can go to the concession stand. And so you can actually say, well, I don't want to ever pick my phone up in front of someone. If you'll be a hardliner, you can create natural intervals. Um, you know, it's been two innings. I'm going to get a beer or whatever. So you can actually, if you really want to be strategic, you can actually even go to that level where you never pick your phone up in front of them, but you do create intervals that allow that. Um, the other thing, this final thing before we get to our guests here in a second is because we're good friends, it's easy for me and you to have this conversation, but I got to thinking while we were there, um, we can sit there and say, hey, we're thinking about leaving this time or we're going to head out early. Um, but, you know, I, I was wondering how would you handle that from just your perspective um, you know, if you're there, do you have that kind of frank conversation? Do you wait for the other person to initiate it? Because I'll tell you my side, if I'm going to, like when I invited you to the game, I'm not leaving until you say you want to go. That's kind of my, my deal. If I invite you to the game, if I pay for tickets, even though I'm the, the person who's putting out the money, I'm, you're the guest, so I'm going to sit there. Um, but do you, is that kind of the motto you would take with it where if, if you're there and it is a business meeting, you wait for the other person to initiate this time to go? Or do you kind of try to guide them through that? Because I feel like the guests should dictate it, but it's not a hard, fast rule either. Yeah, I think so to a certain degree. I mean, I think the uh, the dynamic. I mean, in addition to you know you and I being good friends, I think the dynamic was a little bit different because we were going to three games in three days, and yeah. so it wasn't as if we were just going to one game. Uh, and so I think if it was maybe one game, it's like yeah, let's stay, let's stay till the end. Uh, that being said, you know that first game that you and I went to on what was it? Uh, I guess Tuesday. Wednesday of last week, or Tuesday of last week, or whatever it was. You know, it was a darn near five hour. I think it was like a five hour, five hour, ten minute one. game. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're sitting there for a five hour game, I think there's certainly some latitude. I mean, like you know, like yourself, you uh, you know, you had about an hour drive after the game, and so you know, that's a you know, that's a factor, right? You know, th there's no reason for for someone uh, you know in the middle of the week to be getting home at midnight 1 a.m. and so cutting it short you know I, I at the same time I mean you know if if someone invited me to a baseball game am I gonna beg you know for the first time am I gonna beg out in the fourth inning right no. you know there, there, there's you know there's a little bit of a middle ground there but no, uh, so, I, yeah I, I think 
sorry, I didn't cut you off. I like what you said oh. there. Being aware of a couple of things. One, um, what is the drive of the person and being considered that. So you get there, maybe set an expectation of, hey, where'd you come in from? Friendly, easy question. And if it's the hotel right next door, that's fine. If it's a long drive, then you consider that. But also, um, one of the things that you had, I think, for Tuesday night's game for Wednesday morning was you had a lot of early meetings. And so that's also a thing is what's your day like the next day? Hey, um, and we check going tomorrow. Again, it's framing stuff because we're trying to build rapport. We're not trying to be cheesy. We're not trying to be salesy. You're actually trying to find valuable information to help people. And so I think those are some things, uh, the, whole, the drive thing I didn't think about because for me, the drive is just the drive. Um, but you know, asking people about that who are a little bit more sensitive maybe to a drive or I didn't have anything early the next morning. So I wasn't thinking about having to get up early. I mean, I had to get up to have kids to school, but that's kind of my normal routine. So for me, I would have gone to bed normal time and got up early time. I wasn't thinking about, um, hey, you know, Ben may have to get up really early or or whatever. So that's, I think there's there's two things there. The, the drive is important um, and, you know, the, the schedule the next day. And those are things that are, that can be asked in a way that's, um, friendly and helpful to the person you're sitting there with and the other thing to consider is if it's a blowout maybe you can start saying stuff like hey hey seventh inning looking if you need to go you know don't don't feel the pressure to sit here um because the guests might feel the pressure to stay because you did pay for the tickets yeah i, I definitely there's a part of that that dynamic um if you're you know if you're inviting someone to a baseball game i think it is kind of on you to lay out you know hey if you know if if we want to beg out early, if we want to leave early, you know, that's totally fine. Cause I, cause I would not expect if I were to invite someone, I would not expect them to be the first one. Like, Hey, you know, it's a sixth inning. I'm, you know, I'm going to get out of here. You know, that, that, right. uh, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Or, or if you talk on offline before and you just happen to know something's going on the next day, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I know we talked about baseball before, but I just thought about it because we had a, we had a great time last week and uh, I was just kind of observing some of the, the things and how they progressed and, you know, there was long periods of silence or, and the one thing that, that I probably wasn't as in tune as I should have been is your dad was probably more into the games on a regular basis than we were, uh, or at least I was. And so sometimes he'd be like, hey, this play's coming up. And and I noticed several times that he had been following along the game and I probably hadn't been doing a good enough job because of the, the environment. I wasn't, you know, kind of locked in on a business mode. It was kind of me and you and your dad. And so I wasn't really tuned in, but, but that's one thing I, I thought about later on was, you know, I probably need to be more aware if you're taking someone to a baseball game um, and they get locked in, I probably need to be a little bit more aware of, you know, um, who's coming up to bat. Uh, there's one time specifically he goes, "Hey, it's a big bat," and I looked up, I was like, "Oh, wow, it is. It really is a big at bat." And I just been, we've been talking or or whatever, so I, I realized I had a deficit, not um, being as focused as the guest was um, in this case um, all the time. So that was that was one of the takeaways I realized that you know what I probably need to make sure I'm I'm following along there because the game that game was a close game or it wasn't a close game, but that bat at bat would have made it a close game. So and, and to that point, I think it's, um, I think it was really interesting. I mean, the dynamics, so obviously, you know, it, it being my dad and, and you and I being as close as we are, there, there's a lot of dynamic in there, but I, I guess at a high level, um, I think there's a lot of utility of rather than having like, a one-on-one -on -one if you invite a couple three people yeah. because then if it's three or four people you know again you know if two people are really locked into the game and the other two people are you know having a really intense conversation because i know that, like there were a number of times in, in, in last week that you and i were talking about something totally offline and yeah my dad was locked into the game but vice versa there were times where you and my dad were having a conversation really right. just the two of you and i was locked in the game and so you know it, it again it, it facilitates just an easier flow and, and, and there's not a lot a lot of pressure if you're you know if you have more people um and also you know just like we did you know you can sit like two in front of the other and so you can kind of have 
four people talking at once. And so, cause I know if you're sitting, obviously if you're sitting four people in one row, you know, it's hard for the end people to talk together. Right. But, but no, I, I think that there's some utility in, in, in you know, just like when we went to the, um, down to Baffin Bay, you know, I, I think that that, that dynamic, if it was just two people would be very different from when we went down there, there were four of us. And so I, I think those kind of you know, thinking through how to make it, you know, the most natural and how to make it, you know, the, uh, the most value for the other person, you know, I think you kind of, uh, you know, organically get there. Yeah. Final comment would be, as we'll get to our guest is I think the value for the listeners is when you go to regular low key interactions, try to see what makes those work and then try to mimic those when you're in the business because that's kind of what I did was this was a no, there was no deal we we're trying to talk about there's no pressure um, but but there were people who do deals and do stuff so I was trying to after they were over evaluate you know what I liked what I didn't like um, the things that should have done better I think that's how you kind of duplicate that when you're trying to you know, meet new people or network and I know we got our guests here so let's uh, let's transition to that I was going to ask you if you were going to uh, talk about the steak dinner but yeah we we can transition it's okay. So let's talk about EnergyX. Um, first off, let's get the 30-second overview. EnergyX.com is the website. EnergyX, the letter X.com is the website. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, you're the CEO there. Um, so give me the 30-second elevator pitch for, um, you, you talked a little bit about lithium batteries, but what it is you guys do, what market you're trying to serve, and the genesis of how this company came about. Yeah. So. Uh, if you are not aware of the transition to sustainable energy that, that the world is trying to make, then you're living under a rock. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the uh, overarching theme of what EnergyX is all about. Um, it's a huge wave that, that we're riding right now. And, you know, I would say that Tesla is probably at the forefront of that. Um, but a transition to sustainable energy has lots of, of factors. Uh, one of the biggest um, is the transition to electric mobility. So moving away from gas combustion or internal combustion cars to battery-powered cars. Um, every single major auto manufacturer is... Uh, transitioning their fleet uh, to electric powered or battery powered cars. I mean, if you're talking about Volkswagen or Ford or, um, you know, every, every single one. So with that, the demand for batteries is absolutely skyrocketing. I mean, there's a, over a hundred million cars produced every year and every single car one car battery is the equivalent of 10,000 iPhone batteries. So we're talking about a huge, huge amount of batteries that are in demand right now. Um, and then taking it back a step further, you say, well, what, what do you make batteries out of, right? So there's uh, a few raw materials that make batteries, um, some of which can be substituted for others, but lithium is key to all of them. Uh, lithium is the lightest element, uh, the lightest metal element on the periodic table. Um, and it also has really high energy density. So that's why it's been chosen as the material of choice for batteries. So what EnergyX does, the high elevator pitch, is that we are exploring breakthrough lithium ion production technologies. Because until now, lithium hasn't been in high demand and there just hasn't been that much battery demand and other there hasn't been that much other 
demand for uh, things that lithium is effective for. Now there's a massive, massive demand for batteries and for lithium. Uh, the problem is, is that the infrastructure that goes into producing lithium is really old. Uh, it's like, you know, we need a lot of wood to build houses. Well, what if you had to chop down every single tree with a small ax? That would just be impossible. Um, so what they do, they, they improve the technology and create chainsaws and then, you know, other machines that could cut down trees to get the wood that we need to build houses, right? Right now, lithium production is in the stage of a hand axe. And what we are trying to do is create better technology to increase the abundance and efficiency of lithium production. That was a little longer than the 30 seconds. <laughs> no, no, no words here. And, and just, 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 just real quick from the listener standpoint, um, are you guys um, self-funded, PE-backed? Um, you know, I don't think you're publicly traded, but publicly traded, or how, how, you know, how do you guys, as far as that goes, where, where are you getting that in the market? Yeah, we're, we're privately funded um, with uh, like friends and family, venture capital. We're not, we're not PE-backed yet. Um, PE backed is for, usually for later stage growth companies. Um, we're in the, uh, the exciting development phase. Um, so yeah, we have, we have some good investors, some good strategics, uh, and some really good partners. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in the early venture stage funding part. So Teague, I'm curious, um, you know, moving the conversation a, a little bit farther down the road here, uh, you know, when you guys are looking for, you know, business development, what are the things that you're looking for? Are you guys looking for, uh, you know, footprints on, on, you know, land to be able to mine? Are you looking for partners? Uh, you know, wh what is, you know, how, what is the angle in the market for you guys? What, what are you guys looking to address? What are some of the, the pain points maybe in the market that, that, uh, you guys are, are looking at and, uh, you know, kind of see, uh, maybe, you know, being alleviated uh, to a degree, you know, going forward. Um, I know that was kind of a, a number of questions, but if you can kind of just paint a picture of where you guys are in the business and, and, and what you guys are trying to do and, and how, uh, you know, who and how you're trying to get in front of. Yeah. So once we identified uh, that we wanted to be in this kind of lithium extraction uh, sector, uh, we needed to figure out what that exactly meant, right? Because there's a lot of different ways that you can be involved. Um, one thing that we decided against was we did not want to be in lithium production itself. Uh, that would involve a lot of logistics, um, most likely international, because a lot of the lithium is in South America, where I was in Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina. And that would involve owning land, um, mining and, and, and kind of uh, selling lithium. The price of lithium has been somewhat volatile uh, over the past five or six years. It went up really high and then it kind of leveled out and dropped a little bit. So instead, we decided we want to be a technology company that sells our technology to the lithium production companies. Um, all the lithium production companies know the problem that I described earlier, that they're using axes to cut down the wood as opposed to 21st century disruptive technology. Um, so they're looking for solutions. 
they're, they're trying to develop solutions internally. They're also looking for um, startup technology companies such as ourselves to try technology and, and license or buy technology. Um, you know, even companies like Tesla, that's, that's way, way up the value chain than uh, a lithium producer is has made offers in the hundreds of millions for lithium technologies and stuff. So uh, once we figured out that that's what, where we were, um, you know, you said your show, your, your podcast was a lot about figuring out the deals and negotiating the way that I actually found this technology was once I realized the problem that the, that the current method was really antiquated, I said, I envisioned a new way to do this. I was like, what if we can just uh, extract the lithium out of the salt brine? Salt brine is like really salty water that a lot of lithium is concentrated in. What if we can just extract it through a membrane uh, where the lithium goes out one side and then all the other bad salts go out the other side? And uh, it was kind of a a stroke of luck and, and being in the right place at the right time uh, this group out of the University of Texas had just released the first publication about uh, a membrane that could selectively separate different ions in a solution. Um, so I read this article that was published in Science Advances, which is one of the top publications. And the first thing I did after I read it was I looked up the author's email on the University of Texas website and emailed him. Uh, I had to email him, I think, three or four times before he responded. So persistence is also a key. And uh, uh, as soon as he responded, I told him that I wanted to fly down to Texas and meet with him. Um, So I think it was only a couple weeks later, I hopped on a plane, flew down, uh, took him out to dinner. And, you know, I was still in the kind of due diligence phase. Like, what is this technology all about? Does it work? Um, who's involved, uh, who are the other authors, who, who holds the, the IP, who filed the patents. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of questions that need to be answered. But I would say that, you know, one thing that I am is persistent. Um, that trip to Texas led me on a trip to Australia because the co-authors and the co-inventors um, and really, the, call, the the partners on this project are the University of Texas and uh, two institutions out of Australia. So one is Monash University in, in Melbourne, and the other is CSIRO, which is the Australian National Laboratory. So I had to fly over there and meet the inventors there, and I had to get everybody to agree that I was the right person to license this technology to. So let me ask you that. Um... It, it, and I don't mischaracterize what you said. I'm making sure I follow along. It sounds like you, you found an article that um, talks about a topic that you were interested in. You wouldn't consider, if I understand correctly, your time at that time yourself an expert, but you were interested and you wanted to go and pursue 
you know, the potential revenue pass or company pass or whatever you want to say um, uh, involved with this, how do you balance that? Because Ben and I have talked about this before on the show and offline is if you want to get into a new market or a new business, um, sometimes there's that, that, that fine line between being a subject matter expert, but also showing that you're willing to engage, you're willing to do the hard work. So how do you balance that when you're, or how did you balance that when you're trying to get into this space and you're, you're, you've got a lot of questions, um, you have some answers, um, but as you said, you had to participate, uh, you're, you're persistent. So how did you balance that with these people? You're saying, hey, I want to know more about this. I am interested, but also letting them know that maybe you're not the, the foremost authority on the topic as well. Yeah, I think that um, in business, there's a lot of different aspects to creating a successful company. Uh, you know, this business is, is very reliant on the science, but there's this kind of gap between the science and the industry, right? So one thing that I uh, brought to the party was I said, look, I don't really know about the science. You know, I'm, I'm willing to learn and I want to like learn as much as I can. And I want to, you know, be a fresh set of eyes and ears on this thing because quote unquote experts in the field know the way that it's been done up till now. They don't know the way that it can be done in the future, right? It takes kind of almost like a, an expert generalist that, that cross pollinates different ideas to be able to introduce disruptive technology to uh, a field that is uh, reluctant to change. So, that was one aspect uh, that I think um, was interesting. You know, this is a very new field, but the other aspect that was interesting was I said, look, I know all the, all the clients or all the end customers that would really want to use this thing. Um, at that point, I'd, you know, <laughs> been down to South America twice and I had met with a few people at these big uh, lithium production companies. There were only a handful, really. Um, because it, you know, was still a pretty nascent, still is a pretty nascent industry, but a few of the big ones are Albemarle, which is a $10 billion New York stock exchange traded company. Uh, same with SQM. They're based in art in Chile, but they're a New York stock exchange traded company, $10 billion market cap. So I said, look, if we can develop this thing, I have these customers. Um, and then I took, uh, one of the university of Texas colleagues down to South America with me and met with uh, three of the biggest potential clients that could be the end customer and license the technologies. So that was a, that was a pretty big move. You know, you have to show your value, right? Like what, what can you bring to the table? And even if you think it, you know, it, it's all about connecting the dots, right? It's saying, I'm going to get this technology and then find these customers and then, and then bring in these partners and then build my team. Uh, and negotiate this deal and, uh, you know, source this, this good or, um, you know, so, so really what my job is, is just to connect the dots and, and be the, be the glue in between all this, uh, all these different moving parts. 
No, that's helpful because I think a lot of times um, we'll see public figures and, you know, you might look at someone and go, God, wow, this, this guy really has, a, has it all figured out. But the reality is, is the team, the partners, the consultants, et cetera, they're kind of the, the expert technicians, if you will. And the front man isn't that he's, you know, not knowledgeable or not skilled or any of that stuff, but he has to be the one to take what they're saying, translate that message to investors, to uh, other companies. And, and so sometimes I think we, 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 it's hard to find that balance of being an expert, but also being able to message it. And I think what you're saying on some level is you can partner with the, the SMEs, learn from them, get a better understanding, but then also take that and be able to communicate it where they, they're not really focused on that. So you can kind of play that middleman role, if you will. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that couldn't be more true. Another, you know, something you said there that I missed was bringing in investors. You know, it's another huge, huge aspect of connecting all the dots um, and one thing that I've learned during the, you know, beginnings of this company is that there's, there's a somewhat large, uh, disconnect between the academic world and industry. Um, you know, these universities are, are, uh, amazing places with so much talent, um, and, and great facilities for, for research. I and mean, I'm actually sitting in one right now where they have just vast labs. Uh, they can, they can do tons of different things, but bringing a technology from the lab scale to producing hundreds of thousands of tons of lithium is, you know, a monumental task. It's, uh, and, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, people in academia aren't even really interested in that it's uh you know they're more interested in the fundamental research and then getting their research published in these prestigious academic publications such as science which goes on to uh, uh, get them more grant money awarded from government institutions to repeat that cycle and uh you know it's 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 obviously very good coming up with you know breakthrough technologies but it's it it there's a huge gap in doing that and actually applying the technology and and you know i'm at i'm at the beginning of a marathon right now like even though this technology has worked uh in a lab scale and, and maybe a little bit bigger uh there's still a very long way to go and, and a lot of problems and, and every day i face hurdles uh big hurdles um whether it's sourcing the raw material to make the product or, you know, testing the product at a larger scale, it might not work the same or testing the product on a real world environment, as opposed to uh, a, a synthetic environment uh, in the lab. Uh, there, there's just a million things in between figuring out a new technology uh, in a university and then, deploying it in the field on a large scale. Okay, I know we are up against the clock here, so let's plug a few more times, energyx.com. Folks are listening, they might wanna connect, might have questions, might wanna reach out and just kind of maybe get two cents, uh, get your two cents on something they're working on. Teague, Teague I'm very intrigued by this uh, sabbatical in South America. I gotta hear more about this. I wanna hear the genesis, hear the genesis of the story, this sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, traveling is just one of the coolest things ever. And if you're a traveler, you know that you usually find things that are unexpected. 
Um, I mean, the world is just full of surprises oh, yeah. uh, and adventure. <clears throat> and Absolutely. South America was a place that I had never been before. So I wanted to just kind of see as much as I could. Um, you know, it's obviously a huge place and you kind of have to pick and choose your spots. But the most, um, I guess, touristy things you can do in South America are uh, Patagonia, which is in the south of Chile, uh, Machu Picchu. Uh, I'm sure you've seen several Machu Picchu pictures on your Instagram, probably right. in the last week or so. Right. Um, and one of the other places that uh, came up high on some Google searches is Salar de Uni, which is a huge salt flat in Bolivia. And it's also famous for its Instagram pictures because it's kind of like a play on perception. Uh, if somebody stands in the background, in the foreground, then it looks like somebody's really small and you can hold them in your hand or squish them like an ant or whatever, you know. Yeah. So I'm on this tour uh, in Salar de Uni and just out of left field, our tour guide slips in that it's the world's largest lithium reserve. Um, and I had no idea that that was the case. And then he starts comparing it to Saudi Arabia and that, um, you know, it has this huge wealth of, of lithium and that it could be, you know, a world power and this and that. And I was just like kind of taken back and wondering why the country hadn't started exploiting this natural resource and then came to find that there's a lot of geopolitical tension in Bolivia. You know, you don't really think of Bolivia as, um, kind of a, a technology savvy country or anything like that. So decided that this was an opportunity that I wanted to kind of explore. I didn't know the first thing about lithium or, or what I was going to do to try to pursue uh, what I had just heard. But I knew that there was a big opportunity there and it was something that I wanted to get my feet wet in. Um, so that's kind of the genesis. That's how <laughs> the idea came about. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really upstream, uh, in the whole value chain of renewable energy. And a lot of people kind of don't understand that aspect, but, but everybody knows, uh, about lithium ion batteries. Um, and you know, lithium is obviously an integral part of the battery. Uh, and, and lithium ion batteries have been chosen kind of as, as the, as the uh, um, storage method of choice. So just developing uh, lithium production and, and, you know, figuring out disruptive technologies to enhance and make lithium production more efficient is something that I, that I saw as, uh, you know, a niche way to, to enter the market and, and solving that problem. I mean, if you look at a lot of the generational wealth that's created around the world, that comes from raw materials and natural resources. And I thought that, you know, that was something that was really interesting uh, because I'd been in entertainment um, for most of my life. Uh, you know, I went to school at USC and in Los Angeles, you know, everybody's an actor, everybody's a singer, this and that. And that was just kind of the, uh, um, the industry that I fell into, but you know, entertainment is the furthest thing from world changing. And, you know, I had bigger aspirations than that. And I wanted to, um, kind of 
reset my focus and go into something that was the exact opposite and on the unsexy side of, of industry. And that's kind of where I found myself here. And I think that, you know, there's a huge opportunity to kind of change the world of what we're doing. Is there somewhere else they can find you or connect with you at? Um, energyx.com is, is the place, you know, if you go to my profile, all my stuff is connected on there. My LinkedIn, my Instagram, my Facebook, uh, my email is on there, you know. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Yeah, just find me on energyx.com. Okay, we'll link to that. And look, you know, maybe six months or whatever, we'd love to get you back on again to kind of talk about how things are developed. Because as you mentioned, it is, a you know, whether you're putting together a deal in the sense of, you know, trying to build a business, you know, there's multiple deals that you're working on at one time. So we'd love to catch up with you six months or eight months down the road and see the lessons you've learned, things that came up that you didn't expect. As you said, there's hurdles every day. Um, sometimes you think they're easy and they try to be hard. Sometimes you think they're hard, try to be easy. Sometimes they're hard. You think they're hard and they are hard. So, you know, kind of walking through that process. But Teague, thank you again so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys. Have a good one. And once again, that was Teague Egan, the founder and CEO of EnergyX, EnergyX.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. Ben, a lot of good stuff. Had a little bit of conversation offline with some good stuff. One thing he pointed out offline, I'm sure he will follow up when it comes on the future, is you don't get for things you don't ask. Sounds simple, sounds cliche, but right on the money there is that you don't get for the things you don't ask for normally. And so Ben, I'm going to ask you right now to make a donation for the Ryan Ray Foundation for reasons, a million dollars. So I'm going to take his advice and shoot or shoot. Can I get a million dollars? So I think the qualifier to what he said is that if you're going to shoot, if shoot or shoot, when you shoot, it should be a good shot as opposed to just like blindfolded and uh, kind of chucking at the backboard. Um, And so for for reasons, I'm not going to donate a million dollars. But if the reasons turns into something more substantial and you actually want to talk about it, um, absolutely. If you're trying to just negotiate for these board seats that you've been on at the last few weeks, <laughs> that's another conversation that we can have offline if you'd like. Um, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to share the pie uh, if it makes sense. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for coming in. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes and uh, bring in the closures.com podcast. I mean, bring in the closures.com. You can find us on LinkedIn. Love to hear feedback and we will talk to you next week. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal Awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently, so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan, so you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit JDPower.com awards.